sock, put it under his pillow. The next day, he went over with his jar of marbles and he found Maria and he said, Look, I'm, I'm ready to make the deal. And so they, they exchanged. She gave her jar of candy and he gave her his jar of marbles. But that night when Tommy went to bed, uh, he tossed and he turned and he turned and he tossed and he couldn't get to sleep and he was frustrated and he was bothered and he was troubled. And what, what do you think could possibly be troubling Tommy so much in his mind? What, what bothered him is he laid there that night in his bed looking up at the ceiling thinking, I wonder if Maria gave me all her candy. Because he knew he didn't give all his marbles. Sounds like a trust issue. Two people agree to give it all, but one cheats and doesn't really give it all. Now watch this. And is strangely suspicious of the one who did give it all. Now that's a very interesting thought. It's fascinating to me that the person who cheated is the one who's suspicious of the one who didn't cheat. She's fast asleep because she gave it all. He's awake because he didn't, and he's wondering if she did the same. Now, there's a theory that says that we basically, whatever injustice that we think that God, or, or whatever injustice that we think uh, we blame God for, is actually what we're doing. In other words, we blame God for what we are. So if you ever hear anybody that says, you know, God is, God is angry and judgmental. The theory says the person who's blaming God of being angry and judgmental is angry and judgmental. That they're seeing God through their lens. God is condemning. God is selfish. God is uncaring and detached. There's a theory that says that we project onto God what we are that we might sort of drag him down to our level. We accuse God of what we are. But see, here's the thing about God. He won't be changed. He won't be changed by us. He won't hold back because we hold back. He's going to give it all whether we do or not. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? He gave His one and only Son and bankrupt heaven and held nothing back. God won't hold back because we do. And He, and he invites us to be like Him. He invites us into this life-changing relationship with Him. Now we've been talking about people in Scripture who met Jesus and he invited them to follow him. Obviously, that includes the 12 disciples. But there, and that's who we've looked at so far, some of those disciples. But there's another guy that he met along the way that I want to uh, introduce you to in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, says, A certain ruler asked him, he's speaking to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, and here's the words, come follow me. This is Jesus' invitation. Come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, we don't know this man's name, but he must have been, this must have been a very important uh, encounter. Must have been be a very important event, because it's, you can find this story in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. 
It's in three of the four Gospels. Now, Matthew calls this guy a young, a young man. Mark call, uh, Luke calls him a ruler. Mark calls him rich. So that's where we kind of get the uh, portrait that this guy is a rich, young ruler, if you've heard that name. So let's look at what we do know about him since we don't know his name. We know he was young. He was probably in his 20s. We know he was very wealthy. We know he was a ruler, which meant he was uh, good in administration. He was at least respected in his community as an influential guy. He was spiritually inclined. He knew a lot about religion, uh, and he seemed to want to be closer to God. He sought Jesus out. He came looking for Jesus. Jesus didn't come looking for him. He came looking for him to find out what he could learn. He was concerned about eternity. He said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? So this is a very impressive guy. If he walked into your life group, you would probably say, hey, this is a, man, this is an incredible guy. Look, look, at, look at who he is. One verse says that he came running to Jesus, so he's eager. Another verse says that he knelt down before him, so he's humble. He's eager and humble. Now, if you have a daughter, this is the guy you want to ask your daughter to prom. Right? This is, a, this is a good guy. The whole thing's starting to sort of sound like a lost episode of The Bachelor. It's too good to be true. This guy's shiny, and he's smart, and he's influential, and he's a leader, and he and he's, lives a, a, a wholesome life. He, he, there's a, a whole list of things he hadn't done wrong. You know, with those credentials, we'd probably crowned him the 13th disciple. I mean, I would at least given him Doubting Thomas's place, right? Knock him off. Put this guy in his place. And it's probably too late. You've already figured out where this is going. Jesus saw something that we don't see. He realized this guy's piling up a credit balance with God of good works. So Jesus starts by reminding him five of the Ten Commandments. Uh, had he killed anybody? No, he hadn't killed anybody. What about adultery? No, he was living a clean life. Did he steal? Out of the question. He was an honest businessman and was respected because of it. Was he a liar? No, he wasn't a liar. Had he been rebellious against his parents? No, he had honored his mother and his father. He kept all those commandments. But Mark 10, verse 21, says this. Jesus looked at him, I love, I love this uh, phrase, and loved him. Jesus isn't trying to hurt him. Jesus isn't trying to destroy him. Jesus isn't trying to wreck him. Jesus is trying to free him. Jesus loves him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. See, the, the difference between us and Jesus is, Jesus knew his heart. And as the Bible says, Jesus doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the inside. He doesn't just look, are we keeping the rules? He looks at the heart. And so Jesus is looking at the heart, and he knew that this man's relationship with money was a hindrance to his relationship with God. So the rich young ruler had no idea how poor he was. His great wealth was like a chain that bound him. He was possessed by his possessions. That's why Jesus confronted him and challenged him to sell everything and give it to the poor. So this man is shackled to his possessions and nothing less than radical surgery of the heart is going to set him free. So just as Jesus has done with Matthew and Simon Peter and with Philip, he invited him to follow him. Now, I want you to watch this. Follow me meant the same thing to each one of those people and, and to each one of us. But it has a different application. 
It requires something different. It means the same thing. When Jesus invites you to follow him, when Jesus invites me to follow him, when Jesus invited these disciples and the rich young ruler to follow him, it, it meant the same thing, but it requires something different. There was something blocking his relationship to God, and Jesus knew what it was. And we've already seen how the story ends. The last verse of the, of the uh, passage I read says, When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. So he chose his wealth. His possessions won. What Jesus asked for was more than he was prepared to give. He wanted material things more than he wanted spiritual things. Now, let me, let me share something with you I've learned to be true about God. All the way is the only way. He doesn't understand halfway. He doesn't understand part. That's not the way he gives. That's not the way he treats us. That's not the way he pours out on our life. And it's not his invitation back to us. He doesn't say just be moral, be a good guy, be respected in your community, follow the rules, go to church on Sunday, tithe. He doesn't just list out the things and say, now do all that and you'll be fine. Let me tell you what I found to be true about Jesus. He will not, you'll wonder, how much will Jesus ask for? He won't quit asking until he has your heart. He will ask for whatever he needs to ask for. He is an incredible spiritual surgeon. And he will keep penetrating and keep pushing and keep asking and keep inviting and keep challenging and keep requiring until he gets hold of that thing that has hold of you. And when he sets you free and he has your heart, then he'll quit asking. But he won't stop because he has a goal. His aim is you. It's always been you. It is you and it always will be you. And he won't stop asking until he has you. I can remember being a youth pastor and just because of my testimony and my own story, it, it had never crossed my mind that you could that you could um, that you could know what Jesus wants and not give it to him like like I came from such a such a my life was changed so much that my greatest frustration was always God if you'll just make it clear what you want I would I'll die to do what you want I don't care I'll do anything you want to do but just let me know what is it and I and I can still remember when I was uh, youth pastoring in Florida, right outside the back rooms of our, our youth hall, I can remember uh, this teenage girl that was in our group, and I can remember somehow she and I got in a conversation, and, and I, don't, I don't know what it was I was prompted to say, but I said something to her, because she, her life was really going like this. She was sort of veering in and out, and she was headed for trouble, and maybe not. She was just kind of straddling the line. And I can remember whatever it was that I said to her, it prompted her to say this to me. She said, I know what God wants me to do. I just don't know if I want to do it. And, and <laughs> that blew my mind. I didn't know that that was like an option. I didn't know that that was possible for people to think or to do, or certainly I'd never heard anybody say it out loud. And I thought she was the exception. I'd never met anyone that said anything like that before, but to be honest with you, the longer that I've hung out with church people, the more that I've seen, 
Maybe not so overt, but subtly. People who hold back, who hold back in worship, who hold back in giving, who hold back in serving, who hold back in sharing their faith, who hold back in their time, who just don't go all in. And I've had times when I've seen those blemishes on my own soul. And I've wondered, God, why why did I hedge? Why did I not trust you more sooner Earlier, I think of all the drama and all the worry and all the fear and all the anxiety I could have been spared had I trusted you. And, I, and I've seen on my own soul the tendency to hedge, to hold a few marbles back in a sock under the pillow just in case. So Jesus and the rich young ruler part ways. Like nine-year-old Tommy, he just wasn't willing to lay it all down. So this morning, I want to share with you, what does it mean to follow Jesus all the way? I'm going to give you two thoughts, and the second one, I really want to spend some time uh, unpacking it. In other words, how do you do it? So here's the first one. Following Jesus means trusting Jesus. Trusting heaven instead of earth. Whether it's Matthew or Simon Peter or Philip or the rich young ruler, follow me requires us to put our trust in God, to put our trust in His Word, to put our trust in His plan, to put our trust in His ways, in His power, in His presence, but most importantly, in His love. I love the verse that says, and Jesus loved him. He just met him, but he loved him. And everything he did for that rich young ruler was going to be an overflow of his love. It was going to be motivated by love for him. Following Jesus means trusting him. I cannot follow someone that I do not trust because I will always hold something back. I will always hedge. I will always fudge. I'll always protect myself and never fully follow. I'll follow at a distance. I'll wait and see if it's going to work out, and then maybe I'll take a step. But I can't really follow somebody I don't trust. Now, today we're celebrating an event in Jesus' life uh, that happened just a few weeks after Jesus met the rich young ruler. It's, of course, called Palm Sunday. So picture this. Jesus is on a donkey. He's riding into downtown Jerusalem. And he's surrounded by a massive crowd that's lined the streets and they're welcoming him. And the crowd's all worked up and they're noisy and they're waving palm branches. And it was a fabulous parade. They're welcoming Jesus, the deliverer from the oppressor Rome, into downtown Jerusalem that's going to give Israel their freedom back. And, And Jesus is the most popular guy in the city. And everyone's following him that day. And you can just see people taking their iPhones out and they're taking selfies and they're posting them on Facebook and Instagram and they're texting pictures to their friends. And you can see in the frame their big old head smiling. And in the background somewhere, you can see a little shadow of Jesus' donkey going by and maybe a sandal. Say that right there, that was Jesus' sandal. That was his foot. Look on my page, you can see it. And I wonder if Jesus had a Facebook account that day. How many friends he'd have? Well, I bet he had a lot. Probably he would have broke it. But a few days later, some of the same group are making up the same crowd that's now yelling, crucify him. Boy, they have formally defriended. Because following Jesus wasn't popular anymore. Which, by the way, is where the decline in Christianity in America is coming from. 
It's not popular anymore. We're not a Christian nation anymore. And we're trying to figure out in the corporate consciousness of the American church how to deal with not being the majority. We're not the majority anymore. Now, it's not declining because people who are following Jesus have quit. No, no, no. The Jesus followers in America are solid. There's some solid, that's good news. There's some solid Jesus-following people in America, they haven't shrunk and they haven't quit. And actually, I think they're even resurging some right now. But, but what is happening, it's because we're no longer a Christian nation and following Jesus isn't popular anymore. And as it turns out, these people on Palm Sunday weren't followers, they were just fans. Which leads me to my second point. Following Jesus means trusting Jesus. Here's the second one. Following Jesus means making a choice. It means making a choice. You see, God doesn't work on us mechanically. God doesn't force our will. He doesn't, he doesn't make us do something. God doesn't push us against our will to believe the gospel. He won't violate our free will. He won't, he won't make us. We have a choice. So the question is, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, how do you make that choice? Usually when we talk about the choice to follow Jesus, you know, it comes with great emotion. You know, uh, uh, the music's in the background, somebody's singing, uh, there's, there's a great story that moves your heart, we feel a lot of emotion, uh, we're stirred up inside, uh, we may cry, we may struggle, we may feel the inner conflict, but the choice, we may even procrastinate, but the choice is weighing heavy on our heart. And I just want to say this uh, so we're clear about it. I think it's good to feel it. I don't think that's bad. It's good to shed some tears over, will I do whatever Jesus wants me to do? It's good to feel spiritual hunger, and it's good to feel passion to the point that you think your heart's going to burst. But what do you do when you do not feel it? Feel it when you feel it, and when you don't feel it, do it anyway. Because you're not always going to feel it. I think sometimes we cripple people spiritually because we teach them the wrong goal. Uh, you, you might want to jot this down. Feeling is not our goal. Following is our goal. And the great news is we can do that whether we feel it or not. We're free from it, not bound to it. We can do it. Thank God I can follow Jesus on the really bad days. The days when I just feel like dirt. I don't have to wait to feel better to follow him. Thank God. I can follow him then. That's good news. So what do you do when you're numb or distanced? Or what if you're grieving a loss or you're hurt or you're confused? Or Follow always works. Following Jesus always works. How do you make that choice? Luke 9, 23. This is what I want to unpack for you as we close. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now look, that's one of those champion verses that if you've been a part of a church ever in your life, you've probably heard somewhere. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know that there's a better description in the entire Bible of what it means to be a Christian than that right there. I don't know what it would be. I think that might be it. But the truth is, most of us struggle to understand how do we live that out. What does it mean to take up your cross, and how do we make that choice? Because that's really what it comes down to. So, 
here's what I want to do. If, if you're taking notes, I just want to give you uh, some quick thoughts on what does it mean, how, what does it look like to make that choice. Here's, and I'm just kind of unpacking the words of the verse. Here's the first thing it means. It means self-denial. How do I take up my cross and follow Jesus? How do I follow Jesus all the way? How do I follow Jesus with my whole heart? It means denying yourself. I've never met anyone in the world who doesn't want self-fulfillment. Everybody wants self-fulfillment. The thing is, there's only one path to it. It's self-denial. There's no way you can try to fill yourself up with enough stuff that you will be fulfilled. But self-denial is a path to phenomenal self-fulfillment. So, so what does this mean? It means we deny ourselves those things that are temporarily pleasurable in order that we might gain or, or, or uh, that would produce long-term pain. They're instant pleasure. We deny those because they produce long-term pain. So what does that look like? We're tempted to sin. What do we do? We deny ourselves. We're tempted to cheat or to steal or to take a shortcut or, or at work that might bring temporary bonus, temporary money, temporary shortcut, temporary advantage. But we don't do it. Why? Because it brings long-term pain. It might create a job loss or a demotion or lost integrity. So we deny ourselves in the moment. Maybe we're tempted to cheat on our spouse. Maybe we're tempted to frequent pornography, which brings temporary pleasure. But long-term pain like divorce and brokenness and broken family relationships and addiction. What about when our spending is driven to the point of steep debt? Because there are things that we simply cannot wait for. It brings temporary pleasure to have it, but it produces long-term pain. I, I, can, I can do my devotions or I can go uh, uh, scroll Facebook a little while longer. It creates temporary pleasure or relief, but long-term distance and pain. So how do I take up my cross? Deny myself. Deny myself the things that give me instant pleasure, but long-term pain. Here's the uh, other one that I see. So let me say it to you like this. Denying ourselves is when we refuse to settle for anything less than God's best. I will deny myself today. I will deny myself this moment. I will deny myself this pleasure because it produces God's best in my life. That's what take up your cross means. Here's the, uh, another one. It means torture. Now that's not, we're, nobody's lining up for that, right? We're not getting in line today for torture. Please torture me. I've been longing for that. Some of you say, if you only worked where I worked, you would know I already do that all week. The Bible doesn't say, I think this is very interesting, when Jesus picked the words, he didn't pick, take up your iPhone, take up your Xbox, take up your Escalade, take up your big screen TV. It's a very interesting choice that Jesus said, take up your cross. Now, torture seems too heavy of a topic, but I want you to consider another use of the word than maybe how it would sound to us. Isn't this what athletes do when they prepare for a great, a great athletes? They torture their body. They train their body. They prepare their body. They push their body. Isn't this what a, a, a person with a great mind does? They, they, they torture their mind. They shape their mind. They uh, sacrifice inside their mind so that other things might be produced. What about great followers of Jesus? This isn't self-denial. This is sacrifice. It's a difference. 
1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Paul's writing, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I sacrifice them. So what physical things are you sacrificing today to gain spiritual things? That's the deal. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons we start the year every year with a fast. Because we are sacrificing something material, physical, that we might gain something spiritual. Another thing I see in this verse, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Okay, it means... It, it means torture, it means self-denial, it means death. Isn't it interesting that out of all the sin, Jesus could have said, you know, take up your communion cup and follow me. He could have said, take up the bread. He could have said, take up the miracles. He could have said, take up my teaching. He could have said, take up my parables. He could have said a lot of things. Why would Jesus pick the worst symbol of all, the least attractive, the one that we don't want? Why would he do that? Take up the cross and follow me. It means death. It's the, in the most basic sense, I want you to consider what death means. It means letting go. Death means letting go, right? When you die, your body has let go. Your body's given up. It's released. It's opened its hands and said, I, I, I've done all I can do. And so there are things that we as followers of Jesus are called by him to let go of. Follow him all the way means let go of insults and let go of disappointments and let go of failures and let go of injustices and let go of trials and wounds and let go of pride and let go of ego and let go of sin. The more we die, ironically, the more we come alive. I remember uh, listening to Bill Bright, who was kind of one of my heroes. I heard him on the radio uh, being interviewed by James Dobson once. And they were talking about some real um, difficulties that, that had been inflicted in Bill Bright's life. And some real offenses and disappointments and pains that had been inflicted in his life. And he said, how do you deal with that? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, dead people don't have feelings. I've died to Christ and I've been raised in new life with him. Now, I don't think what he was saying is, be dishonest about how you feel. He wasn't saying, deny your feelings. That's a problem. You're going to bury them and they're going to come back. And they'll be mean when they come back. I think what he was saying is, process your emotions in such a way, the disappointments, the hurts, the people you need to forgive, process them in such a way that they are resolved at the point of the cross that I ultimately whatever process I gotta go through to get there I ultimately get there and resolve them at the point that I say it's not I any longer that lives it's Christ that lives in me and I've died to those things I've let them go here's the here's the last one it means one day at a time 
I, I love this part because it's like sometimes we get in this um, pressure cooker where we say, you, you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision once for all to follow Jesus. I wish I could make a decision once for all. I wish I could do that. Like I do. I think I do. I try to, and I do. And then I come along to something else, and I go, I thought I did. <laughs> but this is bothering me. This is hurting me. I'm struggling today. I'm, I, I'm dealing with some doubt. I'm dealing with some fear. I'm dealing with some stuff I didn't think I'd deal with. And, and I thought I'd resolve that. But here, here's the cool part, however you want to take it. One is, one is you have to do it more than once, not because God's different, because you change. You're human. The, the other one is, you don't have to do it once for all. You just have to do it for today. Now that's the cool part. Take up your cross, right, daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So uh, as the worship team's coming, let me just wrap it up this way. Following Jesus is not an event, it's a life with a lot of steps. And the good thing is, to follow Jesus, all you have to do today is take one step. Just take your cross up today. Just do the self-denial today. Just let go of whatever you need to let go of today. You don't have to, you don't have to, um, I think the enemy uh, traps us or, or our own fear or worry traps us. You ever, you ever live in the future too much? You worry about what might happen? You worry about what could happen? Or maybe even what's going to happen? And today is stolen from you because of what might happen tomorrow? Today is stolen from you because of maybe 10 years from now? And I love what Jesus' counsel to us is, hey, take up your cross today. Just do it today. You don't have to take it up for tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Get up tomorrow and then take it up for that day. And guess what tomorrow will be tomorrow? It'll be today. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's now. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to live in the future. Just take your cross up today. So... As we, as we sort of wrap this up, here's what I want you to think about, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me. What I really wanted to do more than anything is to give you a way to think about taking up the cross and following Jesus all the way that you could get your hands on. So I want to ask the prayer team if you'll come. And I'm not going to hold you long. I just want to give you an opportunity to follow okay so every eye closed just right where you are today you're in the room and the truth is you're dealing with temptations maybe you've already given in maybe you've given in a lot but you're battling and you're struggling and and you're you're dealing with it Here's what I would say to you today. The way that you'll follow Jesus today is self-denial. And He'll give you the power to do it. And if it's gone too long and too far, you might even need a lot of His power to be set free from a bondage, an addiction, a cycle. But maybe you're here and you're just tampering. Or you let things go a little too long. And 
it's time today for you just to say, I want to let that go. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to pray. and You don't have to tell anybody anything you don't want to tell anybody. You don't have to tell anybody if you don't want to say what it is. Maybe all you want to say is, I, I need God's power. I need God's strength. Maybe I need God's forgiveness. I want Jesus' help today. I want to follow Him. But the truth is, I got a few marbles back here in this sock that I've stuffed under the pillow and I'm holding back. And I don't want to hold back anymore. It's time to let that go. And if that's you, I want you to pray this morning. Maybe God's calling you to give up something. Maybe it's not a sinful thing or a bad thing, but there's something it's time to sacrifice in order that you might follow Jesus better. You know, maybe it's time. Maybe it's cutting the TV show off. Maybe it's getting up a little bit earlier in the morning so you can have that time with Him. But the call of Jesus is in the room today to say, come follow me. And the way you can do that, maybe there's something He's just putting on your heart now. Or maybe it's been there for a little while and it's, you've bounced it around for a few weeks. And it's time. Maybe there's some things you need to let go of. An offense, a wound unforgiveness circumstances that are overwhelming you, failure maybe you failed in some way you say God, today I die I die to that and I let go I let go of it maybe it's worry or fear and it's time to let go today, can I tell you Jesus looks at you this morning and he loves you and he wants you to walk out today free and he won't stop asking and he won't stop inviting until you say yes and that's when you become free. So.